Hey everyone, welcome to the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. Excited and proud to have Freddie Wong on the show as he's an idol to many in the filmmaking and online video world. He's a creator of Video Game High School, which simply put is the Harry Potter for video games. It's an online video juggernaut and has been watched over 65 million times, which is kind of a big deal. We chatted about his most recent crowdfunding success as with Video Game High School, he raised over $900,000 via Indiegogo, the crowdfunding website. That is a record-breaking amount of cash for any online video series. The conversation starts off on a really funny note, and we had a great time with this interview. Learned a lot about film, passion projects, and building community, in addition to talking about Video Game High School. You can find him at Freddie W. on YouTube, where he has 7 million subscribers. You can also find him at F. Wong on Twitter. And Video Game High School can be seen on RocketJump.com, Xbox, and Netflix. So please support him and check it out. I'm at Ryan J. Will on Twitter. InfluencerEconomy.com is our website. And if you have an Apple device like an iPhone, please search the Podcast Center for Ryan Williams or Influencer Economy. Let me know what you think in the comments and would love to hear from you. So as I mentioned, Freddie's a video pioneer. It was a fascinating conversation. Really enjoyed this this one. So uh, without further ado, Freddie Wong. So actually, I have a funny story. So when I met you at Tubathon, or the last time we saw each other, Tubathon, which is where um, all the best tuba players go. It's right? for uh, marching bands. <laughs> and it's also a YouTube event for charity <laughs> for helping the homeless. It's like band camp. <laughs> in all seriousness, the fact that they haven't made that joke is such a such a waste on the pun like world. <laughs> Hashtag Tubathon. Tubathon. <laughs> How do you think that looks, by the way? Uh, should I go closer? You should, yeah, you should, you should come sit closer to me. So that is we this can. a good range? Yeah, this is good. <laughs> okay, I mean, is it awkward? No, 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 no. We're not videoing yet. this as well. Not yet, not awkward It's about yet. to be uh, approach that status. <laughs> um, it just gradually becomes more awkward, yes. So you gave me your phone number. It's, yeah, definitely awkward. And uh, I called, it, I put your digits inversed. So I called some guy. Inversed? Like your last oh. two numbers were inversed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy, like, I talked to him and he's like, I said, is this Freddie Wong? And he said, dude, stop messing with me. No way. And he got really pissed. And he says, I'm Wong Freddie. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, are you just punking me right now? <laughs> like, is this Freddie? And he, he, like, we had a five minute conversation. No way. And the guy's like, dude, stop calling me. And I've left him a voicemail like a few months ago. <laughs> whoa, 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 you're kidding. No way, really? Yeah. Because I, I have an interesting story about that, um, about numbers being inverse, because I started getting all of these sweepstakes calls. Like, they're like, you won a vacation. I'm like, ah, no, one, clearly I didn't. And two, I definitely have not put my number down for anything of that nature, but I just was nonstop. And finally, one of these, one of these, uh, one of these times, I got talking to one of these guys, and you know, they wouldn't say anything. But I got to the point where uh, I had one piece of information, which was they kept calling me Nicole. And I was like, Nicole, I'm like, what this? Okay, so I, I was like, yeah, I'm, the, yeah, I'm Nicole. And the guy at the end was like, uh, like, look, man, don't get me started on my whole life. They've been making fun of me, blah blah blah. And so I was like, you know, I was like, oh, like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, I, I dug into it and I found out, okay, well, this was from one of those mall, like, you know, it's like, write your name down and your phone number and you could win a vacation or you could win $10,000 or you could win this car. Someone had done that. And through talking to this guy, figuring, I figured out what number they put down. They put down my phone number. I'm like, well, what, what could possibly, be? I'm like, there must be a, a digit flip. <laughs> yeah. So I started calling digit flips and I, it turns out like you know like like the last four numbers let's say is one two three four on my phone number i called one three two four uh-huh 
I got Nicole a cell answered. phone. And, well, no, no, I got, I got a cell phone, but no, 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 Nicole didn't answer, but I got her voicemail. I was like, okay, I figured out what it was. Someone flipped my digits by one. And then <laughs> I went one step further and took that number and figured out like, and figured out like where it was. It was a Seattle number. I'm from Seattle Ridge. I still retain that. I figured out who that person was and I called like the house address uh-huh. and her mom picked up. And I was, she was really creeped out at first until I was like, hey, listen, so your daughter, Nicole, has been entering a bunch of sweepstakes. You should tell her that this stuff doesn't actually work. And the moment that like I was like sort of explaining their mom just totally went from like, who's this creepo dude calling my house about my daughter to like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And then and then that was it for a while. But then people still, I still get people asking for Nicole. And I, but I know you won a prize or you've entered a contest. Well, now it's her friends too, misdialing her number. Yeah. And so it's to the point where like I know where she lives. Like, yeah, I'm like part is like it's enough. That you like, can knock I on her just door. go over and be like, "Hey, yeah." Anyway, so someone's definitely more popular. You no, know, this guy Wong Freddy was super pissed at me, <laughs> and and then I ended up getting your real number, and it all worked out. But it was just so funny, That's insane to me, because he was so pissed. I'm like, dude, this is not on purpose. Like, I don't <laughs> try to screw with you. Yeah, it's like I don't just <laughs> like. When's the last time you decide that it would be funny to just call a person and just and just pretend to be someone else? Yeah, not my style. Yeah, not a lot of humor there. Um, so yeah, that was the escapade, and and now we're here with the uh, Rocket Jump Studios. You're in the, you're in the writers' room. The of, writers' uh, room, Rocket Jump. It's over pretty here. cool. Um, There's a couch. Every writers' room needs a couch. Two couches actually. Yeah, placed perpendicular to each other, so to maximize seating, to macro, yeah. to maximize conversation. <laughs> yeah, but they yeah. can't look each other in the eye. No, no, absolutely not. And uh, and and one wall you can't see it, but the wall to the left here is painted all blue because I think Matt, uh, co uh, co director of one of the writers on VGHS, read somewhere that Pixar uses the color blue to spur creativity. And I don't, okay. who knows if there's any truth to and pink calms people down. Is it? I know sports teams have pink locker rooms. Is that because? <laughs> oh, that's why for the visitors. Really? Yeah, because they want the visitors to be like calm, to be chilled out. Yeah, and not just confused. Yeah, not just confused. I'll make a colorblind sports team. I'll be I'll be unaffected by this colorometry. <laughs> and so, did you write video game high school? In I here? did not write it. Uh, Matt and uh, uh, Will and Brian, the writers we just did, they were in here for. Oh boy like six months straight every day they would get in they they i mean like if, if anything that i learned from sort of uh sitting in on contributing occasionally to but sort of experiencing that was if you want to write you gotta have some discipline and these guys were like here like nine to like five every day and they would stay later and they would do a second meeting apparently. oh wow yeah it was nuts well i uh, i was telling you i saw my friends over the weekend and i'm a little older than you and they didn't know what crowdfunding was yeah. So they're going to be listening. So anytime we talk about crowdfunding, make it as simple as possible. Yeah. Crowdfunding is like, it's, how did I sum this up? I'm trying to think about how I summed it up to my parents, which was like, it's using the internet. You can get a bunch of people to give money to you, but they actually don't have equity because there's a lot of like legal stuff around that right now. Yeah. Which is coming to some fruition. They'll have an announcement soon with the Jobs Act. They or they have, but then it's one of those yeah, and it's one of those things that like uh, you know I think the, I think right now a lot of that there's a lot of sort of making sure that people don't get swindled and the mm-hmm. consumer protection side of it, but um, I think a lot of that for the, when that gets going will be things like I'm going to create a giant real estate management company and now everyone has a small percentage of this and we manage properties in 40 cities, right? And condos and and rental properties and stuff like that where it's just like kind of known entities as opposed to like let's make a movie or, or things like that where where i think 
any reasonable investor would probably shy away from. <laughs> yeah, right. Except for fans. Well, see, that are coming in that's a, a different equation. So, so, so you know, I think a lot of people look at crowdfunding and they're very confused by it. One, they, they, and I think they mistakenly. So, so first of all, understand that both Indiegogo and Kickstarter put out there that this is like a charitable thing, and this is like for the for a fan who wants to help, you know, contribute to something, the goodwill and the nature of that, and that's not true. And the way crowdfunding really, like, honestly works is the way people approach it is not from a charitable mindset, is from a hey, I should, uh, I want this mindset. So you look at the most popular and most successful Kickstarters, it's not like, they're not like some donate to some cause type of thing. They're all like, here's a product that we're making. Here's a watch that can, you can get text messages on it. And the the reaction that is one of, I want to have this thing as opposed to, I want to help support this idea of, you know, helping something out. And those are the most popular Kickstarters and, and, and Indiegogo campaigns. And the reason why, they put it out there is because again the legality of this and the whole like you know equity inside of it they need to stay away from that as far as possible so they have to put themselves out there i think they know internally that the way it works is essentially a giant pre-order platform so when somebody let's say you know let's take some more popular kickstarter campaigns for even established artists like uh, sort of zach braff and his movie or, or the veronica mars movie people weren't charitably donating to these people and 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 it's a mistake to think that like, well, this, these guys, everyone who donates are idiots. This is well, these guys are rich already. It's like, no, that's not what they're doing. They're putting money down because they're getting something in return for it. Now, whether or not you agree with the value of what they get, something in return is something as, as a non fan of, of whatever that is may not make sense to you. So if I was a big Veronica Mars fan, yes, it might be worth, you know, uh, uh, 500 bucks or a thousand bucks to go see, you know, a, a cast and crew screening of that, you know, and, and I'm willing to pay for that because I'm getting, but at the end of the day, it's a transaction where I'm getting something out of it. It's not a transaction where I, as a consumer, put money down and don't get anything back. So that's sort of what crowdfunding is in a nutshell. That's yeah. a very giant nut. No, I love that. It's a big nut. And uh, <laughs> so when you were doing your latest one at Indiegogo, mm-hmm. I thought your perks were like crazy creative. And we have well, uh, you had a board we game. We actually, and well, here's the thing: uh, we can't take full credit for that because actually, th- to be honest, people were doing kind of cool, fun perks like stuff like this before even Kickstarter was around. I remember, I don't even remember the band, but there was a, it was this was kind of in the era of. So first of all, like Radiohead and and Trent Reznor for Ghost did something similar, where they're like, you know, Radiohead had like the collector's edition of In Rainbows for three hundred dollars. And essentially, it's no different than what like, sort of a lot of the Kickstarter perks are. Where it's like, here's the collector's edition. It's limited, right. blah, blah, blah. And it's this much. And people, and they sold out of it. And nobody at the time was looking at that and be like, those people are getting ripped off. It's like, no, clearly they people are getting value out of this. Is this for In Rainbows? I believe it was, yeah. And, and then they put the album out for free. and then They put the album out for free, and they had like the versions you could pay for, which had more stuff. That's and right. Like That's basically what kick, the, a lot of these Kickstarter perks was. I remember one... Band, I forgot what the band was, but they had a bunch of crazy, hilarious ones. Everything from like, oh, the lead singer will record, you know, your uh, your answering machine message, and uh, I don't even remember the band. Well, I saw they, one where you would fly to somewhere in the U.S. Yeah, to someone's front door. <laughs> yes, the donut donuts uh, donut surprise. Or your, it was anywhere in the anywhere in the world. It was donuts. I'll bring you donuts or your local cultural equivalent of fried dough. Um, but uh, <laughs> did I come, did someone buy it? They did, and luckily they're in the in the states. Where did you fly? <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing: uh, I, I travel a, a lot for random stuff, and so luckily I was in New York, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is a forty minute drive." It was in Jersey, so I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm oh, perfect." Crank on over there. So you went to like Ridgewood and knocked on his door. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and so, how do you develop the ideas for these really creative perks? Because 
giving donuts or fried dough. It's just, it's just that's like something that someone it's like all weird. It's, it was just all sitting around being like, what would be weird and fun and kind of interesting things that we could do that someone might conceivably feel like it's worth paying money for. Um, How much was that one worth? That one was because part of that went to you know covering airfare and things travel. like that. Travel, yeah. I think that one was. Uh, gosh, I don't remember. I think that was either five grand or a thousand. I think it was maybe five. Grand. I, know, I have to I have to look. It's a, it's bad. It's been a while since I looked at the, yeah. the campaign. I totally forgot. Blanking. What are some of your favorite perks you've done? I, I, I gotta be honest. My favorite perk that I've ever seen wasn't even on our campaign. The, my favorite perk I've ever seen was um, the guys who did uh, this game called Barkley Shut Up and Jam uh, Guide in Two. They had a perk that was you can you may impersonate us. Like in any interview, like the, we will do an interview with gaming press about this, but you will be our spokesperson and you can say whatever you want. Oh my God. <laughs> and Just, I was like, this is the they best don't care. idea. They're it's like, the best idea. Like, screw I've the media. Heard. We don't give yeah. a, a crap. Uh, probably the most fun one for us was uh, we did like a Disneyland perk, which was like, come on down and we'll all go to Disneyland and, and go see like World of Color and, and stuff. So you went to like Space Mountain with. We Space Mountain. Like, What's it like crazy. with these people that know so much about you? Because they've watched your videos for years, and then it is a, you know, so, you know so nothing about a, them. So there is a sort of weird experience that I'm and that I go through occasionally, which is like when someone says hi on the street or like recognizes us. I think it's a it's a different sort of. It's not like I think you know in L.A. you see you run across celebrity a lot, you know, and um, the way people approach that is a totally different approach than I think the way people approach sort of like internet famous type types of folks uh case in point like it's very deferential uh, when it comes to sort of more traditional celebrity i remember i was eating at a thai restaurant and uh like quentin tarantino walks in and the and the room was like oh my gosh it's him don't look over there yeah like don't oh, yeah, yeah. act like he's not here yeah act like he's not here. be cool be cool everyone be yeah. cool to put your heads down yeah and that was the thing that it took like forever to get the check because the waiter was being so cool that they wouldn't come <laughs> by and bring me my check i'm like i'm, I'm done I'm, i want to like go. being way too cool like at the point like yeah he was like so way hard. too cool like um, that's too cool for me yeah. <laughs> um, but but then you look at the, sort of the YouTube folks and uh, and and the approach isn't that the approach is like oh hey how's it going it's like it's like greeting a friend you know it's, it's like greeting someone that you're familiar with and and um, it's kind of interesting because I think you know the experience of sort of watching YouTube folks is much more on the more I think relatable level it's your more intimate it's on your phone it's on your computer it's on your laptop it's not paying $12 to go look at their 40 foot face on a screen somewhere. You know, it's a different sort of, it's a different type of fame because we, we idolize the Oscar red carpet. Yeah. 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 And you guys are like making content weekly. So you're, although we're kind of stepping away from you were at one point. Oh, even, and right now actually sort of big, big sort of, but you do updates on the, we do updates. Yeah. yeah. Production, Um, production diaries. Yeah, exactly. And then, so I guess the point is, uh, um, with the, with those guys, uh, here's what happens to me a lot: where someone will say, "Hey, hi, how's it going?" and I'll be like, "Do I know this person?" Because they're act- they're, like they're talking to me, like I know them, and I have this, I'm really bad with like names and faces. So I'm like, mm, "Crap, do I know this person?" Oh shoot, this may be somebody. And then like it takes a second when it's like, "Okay, I don't, I don't actually know this person. I shouldn't feel bad about like not knowing this person's name right off the top of my head." Um, that happens a lot. So they should just introduce themselves if they meet you. That'd be nice. And say, I don't know you, but <laughs> no, I like that, your... That'd be nice. Because, well, it would I've save me three seconds. Yeah, it would, take me th- it would save me three seconds of momentary confusion. I was like, oh, I hope, I hope this is not someone who I've like talked to and I'm just forgetting the name yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you're in some ways accessible. I, yeah, well, I think in a lot of ways, a lot of us Because are. you're not like, on, like you're saying on the 20-foot screen. Like I saw Matthew McConaughey 
Yeah. Funny story when I first moved here. Oh yeah. At a steakhouse. Yeah. And he ordered a ribeye steak. Yeah. And he kept asking for it. And he was greasy. He had like this Austin colored, you know, the tan jackets people wear in Texas. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, is that my ribeye? Is that my ribeye? Where's my ribeye? <laughs> and so we're all like not supposed to look at him. Yeah. Because he's famous. Yeah. So the table next to us is like, this is hilarious. Yeah. And we're like cracking up, but we can't smile because he's this weird famous person that we can't interact with. Right. Because he's like, he's not accessible. And I feel like you guys are, people aspire to be you because mm-hmm. they're making content and like VidCon for example people mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. filming every moment and every interaction mm-hmm. but you have an accessibility mm-hmm. that they feel like they do relate to you yeah, I think there is a greater accessibility um, and that comes from it's you know it, it comes from just the nature of what we do the, the 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 way that we sort of present ourselves you know and and I think there's there's even like there's even I would say there's even even degrees of that within sort of like let's say the YouTube community I would say like guys like like uh, Shay Carl is a daily, daily vlogger is probably the most accessible mm-hmm. out of everybody and I would say take certain musician types you know who uh, who, who, who they may, may feel less so for whatever reason but it's definitely on, on as a whole much more accessible than any given quote unquote traditional celebrity why do you think that? yeah I think it, I think it has to do with one proximity to the audience I think it, want, it has a lot to do also with um when you talk about traditional celebrity, a lot of times it is bolstered by a machine that manu- not necessarily manufactures it, but definitely aids it in its uh, in its in its inception. In that, let's say you talk about, you know, it's like there's a big marketing vehicle, new band I've never heard of before. It's like, well, guess what? Here's millions of dollars to make sure that you know them, recognize them, and, and and see them. Whereas, I think every single example of uh, someone who has gained notoriety or recognition through YouTube has been through like grassroots, you know, uh, one block at a time, one viewer at a time through the quality or, and, or the accessibility of their content. So it's a different sort of approach to being known in one way you are known because you started from not being known at all. And you yourself built that up. And the other one is you have something that is marketable to the masses and that machine is paying for it to make sure that you are known, be it a celebrity in a, in a, in a movie, you know, you know, or, or, or what have you, you know? And so you have a marketing arm and a business unit that's, their job is to book you on the tonight show and today's show. Yeah. You know, if yeah, you're a celebrity I mean, that's, or a, a TV actor. Yeah, no, for sure. I think so. And, uh, whereas you guys are hustling. I think so, and then that, of course, that's not to say that that, that those uh, you know sort of more traditional celebrity aren't you know those guys aren't hustling. Yeah, we're not talking crap about celebrities. Yeah, yeah, but but I think but just oh, we are. I am at least. <laughs> but just from a fundamental theory for the podcast, is from that, a fundamental difference standpoint, you know that's that's where the the origins come from. That you know it's not I got discovered. It's I did a bunch of music and people started listening to it. You know that's that's sort of the the direction of it. And so with your following that you built on YouTube, and then you know when you're making movies now, how does that feel to you? Like these people watched you and I, I really cool quote that you said where you felt like storytelling and was part of the collaborative process with your fans and yeah, there's actually, they're participating now. Yeah, there is, there's a participation just because of the proximity, you know, and I think, you know, and, and and so here's, here's something that's kind of interesting that that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, and that is when we, we, we did a video with, uh, Ray William Johnson, the guy that's equals three, you know, for a while, like the, just the top dominant, you know, YouTuber. dominant YouTube thing. Um, and he said not, not so much cryptically, but he did say at one point that 
because we were kind of early on in the channel, early on in in that process, and he said or he said that at one point you you need to make a decision, and that decision is whether or not you do what you want to do, or if you do what your fans want you to do. And that was sort of, and that was he sort of left at that, because he he started even before doing equals three, doing like a political commentary, political comedy style stuff, you know, and that's oh, the really? yeah, oh, it's the way back, and you know, and and that was kind of how he got his. That was sort of the first kind of stuff they did was was that that level, uh, and that type of stuff, and you know, I, I think thinking about that a lot, there's there's sort of a. Because we find ourselves in an interesting situation right now. We have, uh, over the course of the last four years, uh, seven million subscribers, and every one of those every one of those people came to us through a different way. Some people came here because of action videos. Some people saw, uh, you know, gunfight and they thought it was cool. Some people saw visual effects thing and they thought it was cool. Some people came from VGHS. We even like even even some of our uh, executive producer sponsors on, on on Video Game High School literally had never seen a video we'd ever done, minus when they saw VGHS on Netflix. Wow! Like that was that's the kind of difference that we're talking about. The whole about gamut is being run exactly. So it's like every single person is here for a different reason you know and we've always kind of done a variety of things it's you know i think some channels it's just it's one thing one show over and over and over again uh for us it's always been like hey whatever kind of floats our boat at any given moment so yeah we're we're action movie nerds let's do a, let's do a gunfight or hey we're kind of visual effects nerds let's do like a musical visual effects thing you know and and what, what really comes down to is then we have an incredibly diverse audience which means that almost anything that you do it's it's it'll satisfy a certain group and it'll kind of annoy another group because mm-hmm. it's just, there's no, it's impossible. And that's what the YouTube comments are for. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. To, suss to that duke out. it out. Yeah, exactly. But so then we're in a situation now where it is very much a collaborative process, but everything we do is going to annoy a certain group of people on a very fundamental level. I remember this, seeing this a lot with video game high school, people who are video game high school fans, every time a video wasn't video game high school or a new episode or something about it, they'd be like, what is this crap? I don't want to see this. Oh, interesting. And the people who hate video game high school, which, you know, everyone's you know you can do you can like and not like whatever you want uh for people who hated it they're like great finally no more of that vghs crap so it's like you have compl- so it's like literally just from vghs and not vghs we we've we've divided you know <laughs> the group of people who are who are who are watching our stuff so you made a decision to do what you want to do well see i guess what comes down essentially what comes down to is we since we realize it's like we can't satisfy everybody anymore um not at this stage so we need to kind of look dig dig down and say okay what do we think is quality content what do we think is actually good and put that out there and let the chips fall because there's really uh, chasing that tail or chasing that game of like trying to make sure everyone's happy is one of the